How many of you know what a paradox is? What's so interesting about paradoxes is that the one who's not thinking about them or understanding the principle gets confused when you say things that are just contrary to the way they think. Like, in Matthew chapter 5 on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, blessed are the poor. What do they have? Everything. Blessed are the meek. What do they have? And so on and so forth. And we, we think about these paradoxes and in, in, in Christianity, we are told that if we want to be rich, we need to become poor. If we want to be great in the kingdom, we've got to become servants. If we want to live, we have to die. Who thinks that way? And yet that's exactly what's being explained as we read Romans chapter 6. And these are the very things that is difficult for the world to understand. The very thing that Jesus Christ did for them. And so when we're talking about this concept of dying to live, there are paradoxes involved. I mean, think about it. Dying to live. It just doesn't sound right. And so this morning we're talking about things that I hope are helpful for us with regard to our walk as Christians. You see, we go to great lengths to enhance life. What is so typical of us? What do we do to try and live longer? We take all kinds of medicines, right? So that we can live longer. We go to see the doctor so that we can remain healthy. And we'll even go beyond that. As we age... And reality sets in or down. We put stuff on our face. To make it look like we're younger. We do a whole lot of that. We have cosmetic surgery. Things that help us to appear younger. Because we want to live. We'll take vitamins. It makes us feel younger. Because we want to live. And there are times when I'll hear phrases. And I've just decided to scour the internet to read some of these phrases. I am dying to do such and such. I'm dying. And so we have bucket lists, right? How many of you have those? I don't, I never had a bucket list, but I know of a lot of brethren have had them because I read them on your Facebook pages. I did this. I checked off this off my bucket list. It's part of what we want to do to make life maximized so that we can say, I've done all that I wanted to do. So we go to great lengths to enhance or to extend our lives. My question to you is, which life is most important? And when I ask this question, I'm already implying, I'm already assuming certain things about you. When I ask this question, when I ask you which life is most important, some of you might think, what life is there but the one I have? And I'm offering you another paradigm. That I believe there is life after death. I believe... That's why we are here this morning. We believe in Jesus Christ. Why? Why do we believe in Him? Because we have been taught and we have accepted the teaching that Jesus died and rose again on the third day. And that God has promised us the very thing that if we are to die in Christ, we can have everlasting life. That we'll be raised up in the day of judgment. And so I assume and I imply that there is more than just life here on earth. So with that question, which one is most important to you? Is it this earthly life? Because we sure do a whole lot. 
And we manifest exactly how important this world and this life that we live here on earth is to us. We do everything to hang on. And that's a natural thing. It's a natural reaction to everything. I would do it. That's what we do. But is everlasting life, is eternity, is heaven or hell, which hell does not represent life, by the way, but the fact of of something beyond this earth. Is that something you're so convicted in that it is more important than this world? It's so important to you, it drives the very way that you live. Because when we talk about answering this question, answering it reveals your own belief. And your beliefs will reflect or direct how you live your life. I can tell you right now that while I live in this world, I know I'm not of it. And I can tell you right now that while I will do things in this life that pertain only to this life, my goal is not living for this life. Sometimes I do a good job. Sometimes I fail miserably to reflect this belief. But I do believe that belief is going to be manifest, that you'll be able to see it in the way I live. That's kind of what Jimmy was praying about, that we can live in such a manner that the world can see the brightness of our God and see him through our lives. And so I want you to answer this question. I want you to answer it verbally in your mind. Think it through. But I want you to reflect, reflect on the way you are living. How is it that with your belief, are you manifesting that belief? Because I believe if we are honest with ourselves, we'll see where our belief system is. And naturally, the end result is the answer supposed to be heaven. Right? I mean, you're supposed to want heaven because if we are natural to ourselves and we were trying to do everything that we can do to live. then here's the promise that God gives everlasting life. There's no greater ultimate than that. And so I want you to think of these things this morning. Here's the way we're going to look at this paradox. We're going to look at it first with the world. The way the world, because the world is contrary to Christ, period. There's, there's no other way to say it. When Christ came in, he turned the world upside down because their paradigm was so different than what he brought to earth. And so we'll look at the way the world looks at this concept of dying to live. How the world sacrifices their soul for the flesh. In other words, this world is so important to me that I don't know if I really believe in heaven. I'm not so sure. But even if I do, this is the life for me. Some of the, the one song that really sticks out in my mind is 100 Years. And I don't know if you've known that song. It's been around for, I don't know, five, ten years. I don't know how long it's out there. But it goes through the life of this this teenager, starting off as 15 years old, and when they're about early 20s, then they go through the early 30s and 40s, and all of a sudden you're in your 60s, and then, like that, you're 100. And when you're 100, you look back upon those days when you were back at 15 years old, and it was just like that, a snap of a finger. So quick, I'm 100. It's like a dream. So fast. And then what? What happens after you're a hundred and you go to your grave? You see, if we were to multiply, 
I was looking at the currency with my dad about Zimbabwe and their currency. I thought it was a, a, a hundred thousand, a hundred whatever thousand percent of inflation per year. I think it was 230 million percent inflation rate. We can't fathom 10 percent here. Well, multiply that kind of numbers and you got beyond trillions. Septillions, octillions. I've learned no millions just this week. And that would be the very beginning of time for eternity. And a hundred years, if I said, would you like a penny or a zillion dollars? Is there any comparison? And the same thing is true with this life. And so we're looking at the way the world views this concept of dying to live and the way we view it. And we'll see it sandwiched in with what our Lord has done. So let's look at this for just a few minutes, for a few minutes. Isaiah 22, when Isaiah was talking about those, quote unquote, believers, his own people. And he's talking about their way they're living. They're living as if, let us eat and drink for tomorrow. We may die. And so, you know, that's a good way to live. That's the, if, you, if you believe in just this life, I personally believe in this. If there's nothing beyond this life, because if all we are are dust in the wind, we grow up, we live life, and we're like Rover, the dog, who's dead, and there's nothing more. What else are we to do? I mean, what more enjoyment can you have than to eat and drink? Because tomorrow we're going to die. See, that was an announcement or a pronouncement of condemnation against those who do not look beyond this life. That's our mantra. And our mantra reflects our belief. If we don't Truly believe in the resurrection. And we're told in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 32. If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Paul uses that. He believed that. I believe the same thing. I believe that every one of us in this room are wasting our time being here. If we don't believe in the resurrection or that there is life after this life here on earth. Wasting our time. I've heard Christians say, but Mitch, it's the best way to live. Tell that to someone who's hanging on a cross for their belief in Jesus Christ. Tell that someone who has been put in jail and separated from his family, if that's the best way to live, if there is nothing beyond this life. It's a fraud. It really is a waste of our time. We're not here just to be a quote-unquote community that we kind of get along and we, we, we're nice to each other. It's about a belief that we get to be with our God in heaven forever. But if we don't believe in life beyond this world, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. If the dead are not raised, this is our mantra. Should be our mantra, I believe, as Paul says. The thing is, we are told that if this is our mantra, we don't truly believe in the resurrection, or... What it's telling us is that this world is more important than the next. Remember the parable of the soils? You got the stony ground that receives the word and just simply as soon as the word comes, it's gone. Others, they receive the word, but what happens? No sooner, because there's no root, when trials come, gone. Or those who are choked up with the riches of this life, the cares of this world, even though they have root, they believe in God's word. This world is more important 
That's what happens. This world is more valuable than eternal life. And that is why there are so many Christians that don't live as if we truly believe in the resurrection. That's what happens. Well, my question to you is this. What does it profit your soul if you've got everything? And when I say everything, I want to talk about money, although it can be included in the conversation. When you feel like you have everything, what does it profit you if you lose your soul? You forfeit, you sacrifice, if I can use it synonymously. You sacrifice your soul, you forfeit it. You gain the whole world. See, the morning I became a Christian, I honestly believed, hands down, with conviction, I was the all-American kid. Good grades in school. Had a girlfriend. That's a good thing, right? Wrestled in college. Athlete. Got to be up there. That's my, my arrogant mindset, thinking this. Everything was going good. Life was wonderful. And then someone comes along and tells me, Mitch, you're not living for the Lord. You're living in your sins. And everything turns upside down. And I learned this principle after I became a Christian, but I thought, how true. I thought I had everything. may not have been wealth, but I really thought I had everything. What does it profit if a person gains the whole world and forfeits his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? What would you give in exchange for eternity? Ben says nothing. We shouldn't give anything up for our soul. Our soul is too valuable. My soul that is within me, that represents everlasting life with God or everlasting condemnation because I'm apart from Him, is because of looking at this. It's one or the other. And I'm looking at that belief. But here's the thing. This is why Jesus Christ came into this world. This is the whole reason why we have what we call the Bible. He sacrificed His life so that the world could enjoy the riches of eternity. This morning, Brad read for us out of Romans chapter 3 and Romans chapter 6. In verse 23 of chapter 3, we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. All of us are guilty. We, in, a, in a court setting, we stand before God condemned because we've sinned against Him. Thou shalt not kill, murder, covet, lie, so on and so forth. Well, I never killed anyone. But I can tell you I've lied. Committed fornication. Stole from my mom. Things that just didn't seem that big deal to me. And Jesus sacrificed his life. Coming in the flesh. In the appearance of man. Taking on the form of a bondservant. And humbling himself. In a manner of not doing what he wanted, but his father's will. That's why he could say to his father, I, I wish I wouldn't have to go through this. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done as he's in the garden praying to his God. So he came into this world so that I could enjoy eternal riches. That's upside down thinking. And that's what he did when he came into this world. When we look at the scriptures, we can see amazing love. Here's a most familiar passage. We are told in John chapter 3, verse 16, right? 
God so loved this world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes on him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Do you believe on him? Do you believe that it is through Christ? Not Muhammad. Not Buddha. Nor any other name under heaven, but through Jesus Christ. That there is salvation. Because that's exactly what Jesus said when he said in John 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to the Father except through me. Do you believe? That's why he came here. That's what we're told. He so loved us. He sacrificed his own fleshly life that we could have eternity with God. That's what he did. He gave it. He gave up his own will. It was as if he considered his life unimportant. And yet, we're told our soul is that important. So important, it's more valuable than all the world's possessions. And so... Here we have John 3.16 telling us this. And we can see as well that this is the type of sacrificial love that Jesus meant when he was in the garden of denying himself. That is what he was praying in, in Matthew 26, verse 39. Not my will, but yours, Father. Heavenly Father, your will be done. That's why he came here. I don't know if we can appreciate this kind of love until you live this way for your children. It's amazing that parents are willing to sacrifice so much for their children. I hear of parents working two and three jobs so their children can go to college. Do you suppose that they're sacrificing? I want my children to have better than I did. And so we do everything that we can to sacrifice so they can. Well, multiply that by eternity. And that's what our God has done by giving up his son and what our Savior has done in giving up his own life that we could have everlasting life. It was not his will, but his father's will. So what does that mean? Not as I will, but as you will. What that means is you're sacrificing the things that you want to do. The way you would do things, the way you would handle things to a way that is pleasing to God. So I'm asking you, brethren. How much do you want to please God? Do you, please, you want to please Him so much, you're willing to put to death your will? I'll share this with our children. I want them to do what I want them to do. And at home, guess what I do as a dad? I force them to do what I want them to do. Kind of mean, right? If I can't force them to want to do it. I cannot force their will. I can only force their behavior. And then when they're out of my home, guess what they're going to do? Hopefully what I want them to do. Yet not as I will, but your will be done. That's what we need to learn as Christians. We have got to look at the big picture. We have got to look at eternity as reality. Because it is. Eternity exists. It's about us. We just can't see it. We can't touch it. We can't feel it. But just as surely as I believe I'm breathing oxygen, even though I cannot see it, feel it, or touch it, I believe it exists. And I believe heaven exists. And so we put this temporary fleshly life to death. What we're not saying is you cannot enjoy what God has given to us. I think 
if you read Ecclesiastes, you get a, a wonderful perspective on life. If you go through all of life, God realizes, or we should realize, that God has given us everything to enjoy, but unto His glory. Not just for fleshly desires and keeping out of the picture. And so as Christians, then, we need to understand that eternity is our reality. We're pilgrims, if you will. We're just passing through this temporary blip on the screen called life on earth. And if we understand that and we try to live for the Lord, then we're going to follow with a very mindset. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8 tells us that we're going to have this mindset. Have this attitude in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. He emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, made himself in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. This is the reason why there are people in the first century that we can read of in Scripture that went to their grave. Because they believed in Jesus and followed in his footsteps. They, be, they humbled themselves and they also became obedient even to the point of death. And some of them literally to the death on the cross themselves. And there are people today who are willing to stand up and saying, I do believe that Jesus is the Christ, that he came to this world to save me of my sins, and I'm willing to stand up for his name. And I'm going to live for Him. And I want to live to make my God, who made me, make Him happy. Please Him. So I want to ask you, when you look at these passages, do you work out your salvation with fear and trembling? Is that what you have in your mind? Are you like the Apostle Paul, who says, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So that the life I now live, I live in such a manner that I put this man that's fleshly, the things that are my desires, selfish desires, and I overcome them by faith, by doing what God wills, what makes him happy. And that's what we have. I want to read this as the last passage for this morning. Whatever things were gained to me, those things I've counted loss for the sake of Christ. Do you have that mindset? You see, Paul had everything. He was the, can't say all-American, all-Judean Jew. I don't know if that's a way of saying it. I mean, sat at the feet of Gamaliel, great first century rabbi. Pharisee of Pharisees. He was moving up in the ranks, he says. He counted all but loss for the sake of Christ. Loss. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. See, that's why he goes on to say later on in a, to a different church, I preach Christ only and Him crucified. That's what he's saying here. I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. Count them but rubbish that I may gain Christ. He goes even further and he says, and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own. It's not like I'm so good. I've been such a great Pharisee that I deserve heaven. That's not what he was saying. Not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, 
but that which is through faith in Christ. That's what he says. The righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Because I believe in Jesus Christ, my God is able to make me stand and it's His righteousness through my faith that allows me to live for Him. So that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. Do you see the belief system that He has? He believes in life after this earthly life. And it is that earthly belief system, if you will, in the heavens, in the resurrection, that He's able to count all things rubbish. Paul didn't do that before Christ died on the cross. He didn't do it until he came to know Christ. And he did a 180. He changed. That the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his, Christ's suffering, that he would be conformed to his death in order, he says, that he would attain to the resurrection from the dead. He believed in it so much he was willing to go to his grave. In serving God through Jesus Christ. I'm telling you right now, when you have that view, it changes the whole way you live. See, the world does everything to live according to this life. Now, when I say world, how are you living? It doesn't matter to me personally that you just come to all the church services. Doesn't matter. That does not make you faithful in and of itself. I believe it's because of your love and faith in the Lord that you come together and we sing these praises to God, even if some guy can't click right. You sing praises to God. And even if we don't sing it with the perfect tunes, you sing with your heart to the Lord. You see, because we believe what Jesus did for us, that's how we live our life. All those who want salvation follow Jesus. Now, I'm closing with this text here. I said that last one. I meant this one. This is the last one for sure. Romans 6, 1 through 11. This is what was read at Scripture reading at the beginning. I want to reemphasize this. What shall we say? Paul is writing to the Christians at Rome. And he says to his fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, What shall we say then? Are we going to continue in sin that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? You know, when you're baptized into Christ, that is the picture of that baptism. You're putting to death that old man of sin. You go down into that watery grave, if you will. And when you come up, You come up in a different life because we have been buried with him through baptism into death. So as Christ was raised from the death through the glory of the father, even so we might walk in newness of life. That's the picture of that baptism when you're coming up out of that water. You're living a new life. Peter says in first Peter three that that's a answer of a pure conscience. It's implied it's that faith in Jesus Christ. That's why you were baptized. And you came up out of that water a new man. No longer do you live for yourself. You live for the Lord. And that's why he says, if we become united with him, in verse 5, in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. 
knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with. So that we would no longer be slaves to sin. No longer do I belong to Satan, but I was purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. I am bought with that blood. And now, no longer am I slave to him or sin. I'm a slave to Jesus Christ, if you will. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. He died once on the cross for us, but that's it. No more. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. He's on the right hand throne of God. And even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin in like fashion. While we're living here as Christians here on earth, we need to live as if we are dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. That's what's said. How do we live, brethren? I want to say this as well. I want you to stop and think about what goes on in our lives before we're baptized into Christ. Before we put on Christ, we're told. We're told in Ephesians chapter 2, when you read verse 14 following, we have no hope. Because we're living for self. But those who are in Christ Jesus, those who put on Christ, you believe that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Son of God. He's the one that, that has given His life for us. How do you respond to Him? How do you respond? 